coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. Obviously, lots to get to in the aftermath of yesterday's mass shooting that involved uh, one casualty, four other injuries, and the subsequent arrest later, eventually, of Dion Patterson, 24 years of age, in the Vining Smyrna area yesterday. What an eventful day that was uh, here in Atlanta, and it made for actually quite an easy show yesterday as I was just literally giving you play-by-play of an event as it was unfolding. Today, however, we awaken to, oh my gosh, it's almost like a weekly occurrence, another Clarence Thomas revelation. ProPublica, again, breaking news in the Clarence Thomas realm. The headline, Clarence Thomas had a child in private school. Harlan Crow, does that name sound familiar? Harlan Crow paid the tuition. That's right. Crow paid for private schooling for a relative. Thomas said he was raising, quote, as a son. Now, before we dive into that, let's remember, we know for a fact that Harlan Crow has lavished Clarence Thomas and wife Ginny with trips, lavish, luxurious trips, vacations to exclusive destinations. And we know that Harlan Crow also bought the childhood home that Clarence was raised in, that his mother still lives in, lives as in still currently, bought the home. Allows her to live in it rent-free, did extensive renovations, and that wasn't disclosed, nor were the vacations. We also know that Ginny Thomas, Clarence's wife, chaired a nonprofit organization that Harlan Crow donated 500000 of the 550000 in seed money used to launch that nonprofit while she served as its CEO. That as well, not disclosed when Clarence Thomas has to file disclosures. And now we learn that a grandchild of Clarence Thomas attended a private school that Harlan Crow paid for from ProPublica. In 2008, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas decided to send his teenage grandnephew, sorry, it was grandnephew, to Hidden Lake Academy a private boarding school in the foothills of northern Georgia. The boy, Mark Martin, was far from home. For the previous decade, he had lived with the justice and his wife in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. Thomas had taken legal custody of Martin when he was six years old and had recently told an interviewer he was, quote, raising him as a son. ProPublica writing continues here. And by the way, let's give credit to the author, Joshua Kaplan, Justin Elliott, and Alex Mirzewski all collaborating on this. Tuition at the boarding school ran more than $6,000 a month, but Thomas did not cover the bill. A bank statement for the school from July 2009, buried in unrelated court filings, shows the source of Martin's tuition payment for the monthly tab, the company of billionaire real estate magnate Harlan Crow. The payments extended beyond that month, according to Christopher Grimwood, a former administrator at the school. Crow paid Martin's tuition the entire time he was a student there, which was about a year, Grimwood told ProPublica. In case you're wondering, we do have an acknowledgement from Mark Pauletta, 
a longtime friend of Clarence Thomas, who was also one that served as Jenny Thomas' lawyer. He acknowledged that Harlan Crow did indeed make about a year of tuition payments, $6,000 a month, for Clarence Thomas' grandnephew to attend a posh private school in Georgia. This, of course, also not disclosed. (laughs) Again, I take you back to the premise. If this were Sonia Sotomayor getting any kind of financial assistance like this under the table, undisclosed, unreported from a George Soros, Sean Hannity would be having a conniption. And there's essentially no repercussion for this. Right now, anyway, it's been asked that Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts testify before congressional hearing about this. However, Chief Justice Roberts sent a somewhat polite, no, I I don't feel like it. According to uh, a report in the Georgia Recorder, Ashley Murray filed this yesterday, before these revelations came out about the tuition, by the way, that Supreme Court justices should follow a strict code of ethics when receiving gifts and travel or doing business with political funders and attorneys, argued Democratic senators Tuesday at a hearing that Chief Justice John Roberts declined to attend. She continues, after a spate of investigative articles detailing Justice Clarence Thomas' luxury travel and real estate transactions with a GOP donor. Note to add, also tuition payments for a grandnephew. And a property sale by a limited liability company partly owned by Justice Neil Gorsuch to a law firm head. Democratic leaders, and like, by the way, she doesn't even mention Jenny Thomas starting a nonprofit that Harlan Crow funded all but 50000 of. Democratic leaders on the Senate Committee on the Judiciary maintained the highest court in the land cannot be trusted to police itself. GOP members of the panel dismissed the hearings as selective outrage, as ranking member Lindsey Graham of South Carolina put it, against the court's conservative majority that recently handed down controversial high-profile decisions, including overturning Roe v. Wade and striking down New York's concealed carry law. Hang on, Senator Lindsey Graham. If this is selective outrage, tell us what outrage Democratic senators on that panel should have towards jurists who are left of center. I'll wait. Sorry, no, I actually can't because I have an entire segment to do. Dick Durbin yesterday. There were questions raised throughout as to why we would pick on one conservative justice. I will tell you the disclosures that have come out since the Thomas article about the gifts he's received from the Texas billionaire uh, have included many members of the court, certainly those who wouldn't be put in the conservative category. Questions have been raised. Questions are raised about members of Congress all the time, and they should be. I know each year when I disclose my taxes and my net worth in detail, somebody's going to call with a question. Explain this item to me. Explain that item Mm -hmm. to me. That is part of the responsibility of public service. It's no fun, but it's part of the job. If you want to be a public figure, I think you owe it to the people to be uh, assuring them at every step of the way that you're being honest about discharging your duties. So we haven't given up. When it comes to the Senate Judiciary Committee and the issue of ethics, we're far from finished. Uh, We had good testimony yesterday from witnesses that I think give us a basis for moving forward in this area. 
At the end of the day, we want to make sure that people, as skeptical as they are of politicians, with every, uh, have every right to be, believe that the institutions, whether it's Congress or the Supreme Court or the President's office, are at least credible and trustworthy. Establishing a fundamental ethical standard that assures that fact is absolutely essential, and the Senate Judiciary Committee will continue that pursuit. And good luck with it, because right now there's not a whole lot of options to see that there are any repercussions for Clarence Thomas just saying, oops, I forgot to disclose that. Literally, there are no repercussions. If you or I fail to disclose, uh, how much are we talking there? $72,000 in income. <laughs> Do you think the IRS are going to have some uh, levers to pull? some ways to see to it that we pay the price for not disclosing that? Of course. And that's just the tuition tab, man. Oh, and did I mention that that was just at the one boarding school? ProPublica continues, before and after his time at Hidden Lake, Martin attended a second boarding school, Randolph-Macon Academy in Virginia. Harlan said he was paying for the tuition at Randolph-Macon Academy as well, according to Christopher Grimwald the former administrator at Hidden Lake. He recalled a conversation he had with Crow during a visit to the billionaire's Adirondacks estate. Must be nice. ProPublica took this story even further. They interviewed Martin, his former classmates, and former staff at both schools. The exact total Crow paid for Martin's education over the years remains unclear. If he paid... For all four years at the two schools, the price tag could have exceeded $150,000 according to public records of tuition rates at the schools. Needless to say, as ProPublica wrote, Thomas did not report the tuition payments from Crow on his annual financial disclosures. Several years earlier, Thomas disclosed a gift of $5,000 for Martin's education from another friend. It is not clear why he reported that payment, but not Harlan Crow's. ProPublica spoke to a a retired federal judge by the name of Mark W. Bennett. He was appointed by President Bill Clinton. Also says that he is still friendly with Clarence Thomas and did not discuss the specifics of Clarence Thomas' situation. But he said that when he was on the bench, he wouldn't even let lawyer friends buy his lunch. He said, you can't be having secret financial arrangements. ProPublica did their due diligence, sent uh, a query to Clarence Thomas people, of course, no response. However, they actually sent Harlan Crow a detailed list of questions. His office, by the way, responded with this statement. Oh, my God. By the way, didn't dispute this. Oh, my God, though, this statement. Harlan Crow has long been passionate about the importance of quality education and giving back to those less fortunate, especially at-risk youth. Are you kidding me? Wait, Clarence Thomas' grandnephew is less fortunate and at risk? Hmm. That just doesn't sound like a a GOP mega donor who I'm sure was just happy with Betsy DeVos as Secretary of Education. Oh, the statement continues. It's disappointing that those with partisan political interests would try to turn helping at-risk youth with tuition assistance into something nefarious or political. What a crock of I'm sorry. This wasn't at-risk youth. This was an at-risk youth, if even at-risk. Clarence Thomas's 
grandnephew is not less fortunate or at risk. And if he is, why the hell is he? <laughs> His great uncle is a Supreme Court justice, for God's sakes. But here's what sucks, y'all. We can all sit here and get hopped up mad about it. There's not a damned thing anybody can do about it in our current form. Can't. He can't really be MP. I mean, there are options for, first of all, in the next segment, I will explain to you how difficult it is to impeach a Supreme Court justice and why it ain't going to happen with this guy and this Congress and that Senate and this president. It's just not. And I'm not pinning the blame on Joe Biden. I'm just telling you the harsh political realities. But there is actually something that Joe Biden could do to mitigate Clarence Thomas' power. We'll get to that after the break. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Thursday. Later in the show, we'll revisit some of what went down yesterday. Mass shooting, Midtown Atlanta, one casualty, four injuries, and a 24-year-old Dion Patterson eventually arrested last night. And the, the sad statement his mother had to uh, one local TV station reporter, just heartbreaking, gut-wrenching. We'll, we'll revisit that uh, on the bottom, bottom half of the show. However, the headline of the day so far, George's very own, going to get a statue of him around the state capitol building, I believe. Clarence Thomas, again, caught with his hand in the Harlan Crow cookie jar. Estimates of anywhere around seventy-two dollars to $150,000 in private school tuition payments made on behalf of his grandnephew, Mark Martin, by the Texas billionaire, Harlan Crow, whose name should be as famous soon as the nefarious liberal George Soros. <laughs> right? I mean, this guy's... Funding a Supreme Court justice. And anybody who says, oh, this is just a friend helping a friend out. Dude, do you ever help your friend out with $150,000 in tuition assistance for his grand nephew? And then call it taking care of tuition for at-risk youth. Get out of here. What a load of crap. It's Clarence Thomas. He's got his own connections, right? Does he not? Oh, and by the way, got to talk about former slash current. Where the hell is he, actually? Georgia resident, Senate candidate, Herschel Walker, and his money issues, too. And what's going on with two of the more prominent members of the GOP who happen to be male minorities? Uh, I mean, talk about setting a movement back, right? Oh, my gosh. Anyway, there's all this hand-wringing on the left. What are we going to do about Clarence Thomas? we got to get him off the bench. we got to do something. Y'all... You can't just impeach a Supreme Court justice. It doesn't just happen like that. It's not like the, the swift move of a pen or anything like that. AOC earlier. What we also learned this week is that a Supreme Court justice of this court has been receiving hundreds of thousands of dollars yep. worth of gifts and expenses and having lifestyle subsidies by a billionaire who has been funding the, the same types of judicial organizations that appointed this judge mm -hmm. in a partisan ruling in the first place. Mm -hmm. 
Later on in his statement, he stated that the reason and the rationale for this exemption was personal hospitality from an old friend. Mm -hmm. And he said himself in his statement, a friend of 25 years. Justice Thomas has been on the court for 30 years. And so to say what he is admitting in his statement in an attempt to defend himself is that he began this relationship with a billionaire yep. and receiving these sorts of gifts as after he was appointed to the Supreme Court of the United States. I think that that in and of itself indicates a very, very serious problem. And then on top of that, he is now implicating his colleagues. And I do believe that Chief Justice John Roberts must now come forward and, and state if he allows and is allowing this kind of very serious corruption to happen on, the, on this court. And I would urge the Supreme Court in its lawlessness that they are exhibiting right now mm -hmm. already, their extraordinary conflict of interest. I mean, my hope would be that we do not get to that point. But once, if we do, I do believe that we must start to uh, start to push back on our system of checks and balances, which is designed to push back on should there be an example of judicial tyranny and judicial overreach. She wants to impeach Justice Thomas. Okay, me too. I'd also like the Falcons to win the Super Bowl this year, but the likelihood is neither of those are going to happen, no matter how hard we wish and try. <laughs> When Justice Brett Kavanaugh was being heavily scrutinized before and during his confirmation process, and even after the fact, when more revelations came out, there were those who were talking about methods for impeachment. Washington Post put out a nice little video that kind of explained why this is really hard to do. Take a listen to this. There are no set qualifications for impeachment. It looks at high crimes and misdemeanors. There's a two-step process. It starts in the House of Representatives, and they vote by a majority for impeachment or against impeachment. Forget it. After an impeachment, it moves to the Senate for a trial. If a supermajority threshold of the senators vote for conviction, then that person will be removed. The most famous cases in American history have resulted in impeachment, but not removal. President Bill Clinton and President Andrew Johnson were both impeached, but were not removed. Only one sitting Supreme Court justice has ever been impeached. That was Samuel Chase in 1805. And like President Clinton and President Johnson, he was impeached, but was not removed and continued to serve on the bench. That is Deanna Paul with the Washington Post explaining that so eloquently. Thank you for that. If you're wondering, by the way, that supermajority vote in the Senate, two-thirds. You're going to need at least 67 votes in the Senate. We barely have 50, and that's if Dianne Feinstein is still capable of serving in the Senate. Why hasn't she resigned yet? Not that it matters, I'm telling you. You're, you're going to get the 50 votes, and that's it. You're not going to get two, maybe, GOP senators to peel off to vote for having Clarence Thomas removed. You're just not. 52 ain't 67. It's a long way off. You're not getting rid of Clarence Thomas. The only way Clarence Thomas comes off that bench is if he decides to on his own or the Grim Reaper comes a-calling. So what can President Joe Biden do? Well, not much. Except he could dilute the power of Justice Clarence Thomas' position on the U.S. Supreme Court by packing the court, which he's not likely to do 
because he's running for re-election, which takes me back to why I didn't get excited when he announced that he's running for re-election. And he announced, by the way, after a lot of what came out about Clarence Thomas came out. If he were a one-and-done president going out in a blaze of glory, planting those trees for which the shade he shall never enjoy. Is that how the parable goes about the old man planting trees and shade? If he were that guy going out with the one term, not giving a rat's ass what polling said and setting the table for the next president, preferably from his party, by doing what the will of the people demands, universal background checks, Packing the court to make it more representative of what is a very slight liberal majority United States of America. Ensuring that reproductive choice came back, which the majority is for. Codifying voter rights protections. Put all these in executive order form and then tell the American people, if you like these things like you say you do, fine. Now there are referendums on the ballot. You've got to vote for the next Democratic Party nominee. Or else they're going away. That makes 2024 really matter. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. While we're on conservatives and their financial chicanery and being bought off or just outright taking money from billionaires, are these billionaires just easily duped or what? Oh, of course not. They're on the take. Uh, Stephanie Miller, let's give her a little bit of audio f- from uh, from uh, from her show earlier this week. <laughs> wow. You know what? Have you ever even heard of wire fraud as often as we've heard of lately? Because it looks like uh, Herschel Walker could also be going through yeah, something yeah. That from wire fraud. Hmm. I don't... Walker uh, wasn't just asking for donations to his campaign. He was soliciting hundreds of thousands of dollars for his own personal company, a company that he never disclosed on his financial wow. statements. Mm-hmm. WTF Herschel. That's right. Uh, According to the Daily Beast, emails reveal a jaw-dropping Herschel Walker money scandal showing that Walker solicited hundreds of thousands for his own business from a billionaire donor with the donor believing he was giving to Herschel's campaign. Roger Sullenberger at the Daily Beast reporting on this. When Herschel Walker emailed a representative for billionaire industrialist and longtime family friend Dennis Washington in March of 2022, he seemed to be engaging in normal behavior for a political candidate. He was asking for money. The article goes on. But unbeknownst to Washington and the billionaire's staff, Walker's request was far more out of the ordinary. It was something campaign finance experts are calling, quote, unprecedented, stunning, and jaw-dropping. Walker wasn't just asking for donations to his campaign. He was soliciting hundreds of thousands of dollars for his own personal company, a company that he never disclosed on his financial statements. Emails obtained by the Daily Beast, the article continues, and verified as authentic by a person with knowledge of the exchange show that Walker asked Washington to wire $535,200. I'm always singing that song. Directly to that undisclosed company, HR Talent, LLC. And the emails reveal that not only did Washington complete Walker's wire request, he was under the impression that these were, in fact, political contributions. $535,000 in political contributions. And this is legal. 
In the best possible circumstances, according to the Daily Beast, legal experts told them that the emails suggest violations of federal fundraising rules. In the worst case, they could be an indication of more serious crimes, such as wire fraud. It's Stephanie Miller pointed out. We're hearing about that a lot lately. Sullenberger writes, but Walker, who had been schooled on campaign finance rules since his campaign launched in August of 2021, according to a person involved in those conversations, appears to have dismissed the Washington team's concerns that the money may have gone to the wrong place. Oops. When a third party informed a Washington company's executive that the money couldn't be used for political purposes, they raised the issue with Walker, asking at one point whether the funds should be redirected to a super PAC supporting his candidacy. Walker never contributed any of his own money to his campaign, according to Federal Election Commission filings, and it's unclear what happened to these particular funds. Walker may have ultimately returned the money to Washington, but he did not reroute the money to the super PAC, according to FEC filings and a person with direct knowledge of the events. I mean, is it conceivable maybe that this uh, Washington guy was sending money to Herschel Walker to pay all the back rent for those folks that were going to be evicted from the building that Raphael Warnock's church owned and had managed by another company? Nah, doubt it. (laughs) But it's an idea, I suppose. Did we ever find out if Herschel made good on that promise? Did we ever find out if Herschel actually lives still in the state of, has anybody seen Herschel Walker in the state of Georgia since last November? Show of hands, anybody dial me up 404-919-2725. Ron at ronshowatl.com at ronshowatl on Twitter. If you have seen Herschel Walker since his election defeat in the state of Georgia, like you see that he lives here, by all means, please present the evidence. And maybe if you have that sort of connection with him, you can ask him, hey, what did you do with that $535,200? i tell you what, it, it kind of blows my mind that liberals get a lot of backlash from conservatives who want to talk about keeping black people on the plantation. You know, that's, that's the, 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 the standard argument. Oh, they're trying to keep people of color on the plantation. Let them get their minimal amount of money and keep them on the take. First of all, what, what, in what world is having people of color vote for your ideology, vote for your party because you stand up for them and their values and their beliefs and their struggle and their attempts to overcome decades, if not a century or more of disparities and biases? How is that the same as making them work for free or taking from them? Seriously. I don't understand that. I've never understood that. Oh, trying to keep them on the plantation jargon. It's, it's kind of gross. It's also a little weird that two of these shining examples of minorities in the GOP, conservative black men, are either useful idiots, puppets, or crooks. Why would you... Mm. it's troubling. It really is. It also makes me appreciate Tim Scott that much more. I like his story. I do. I like Tim Scott's story. I think Tim Scott's uh, a good man, all in all. I think he's 
dead wrong on about 95% of domestic and international policy matters, but he's a good story. He's one of those stories uh, of overcoming some intense obstacles that are hard to overcome. You know, I said as much about that earlier, too, in a thread on Facebook. I'm trying to find real quick. So some of you know that uh, back in my hometown of Augusta, the local news talk radio station's sole conservative talk show is hosted by one Austin Rhodes. Austin, by the way, listens to this show every day. And I, I appreciate that. And he's been actually one of those that reaches out to me and says, you know, when I'm doing, you know, a good show or whatever, and, you know, this is what Atlanta, you know, you, I'll give him credit for that. Absolutely. You know, thank you so much. I appreciate that. That's, that's really cool. We talk Trek, Star Trek. We'll talk cats. He's a cat guy. I'm a cat guy. But we just, we can't talk politics because, <laughs> because I know what he does is like entertainment. And he'll push back on that, but I, it is, it's entertainment. He loves to talk about ratings and revenue. And well, that's entertainment. If you're doing it for ratings, ratings and revenue, then you're already, to me, clouded ideologically. It's kind of like what Fox got caught up in after the 2020 elections. They felt the need to give their audience what they believed their audience wanted to hear instead of what was the truth. And was it $737 million? $737 million, $500 later. Fox is smarting. Tucker Carlson's out of a job. There's a lot of embarrassment. Well, there should be embarrassment, but I don't know. I don't know that the right ever gets embarrassed anymore. They just... <laughs> they just get caught and go, you got to go, Tucker. And then Tucker's going to try and get out of his non-compete and land at Newsmax or News Nation or wherever the hell he's going to land. <clears throat> so when the shooting was coming down the pipe Yesterday, there was all these reports about the Midtown shooter. Uh, Austin goes on his Facebook page and posts a picture of uh, Dion Patterson, who is a black male, 24-year-old black male in a gray hoodie. And he said, another one of those pesky white nationalists are causing havoc again, tongue-in-cheek. This time shooting up a medical office in Midtown Atlanta. Of course, I don't normally chime in on his stuff as much anymore and his Facebook posts don't get as much traction anyway which is a shame because I mean it's entertaining man his followers are there just entertaining pop the popcorn sometimes I like to lob a little liberal grenade in there and just watch it go boom. <laughs> so instead of talking about uh, universal background checks for gun purchases that more than 85% of the country's for he wants to throw this red herring out about how the fear of white nationalism being the number one domestic terror threat in this country. And that's real. That's not me saying something opinion. That is legit. He wants to throw that red herring out. I mean, 85% of the country want universal background checks. This guy obviously had some mental issues. His mother said as much. I think I was watching whatever, what is what is the CBS, WANF now? It's WANF, Atlanta News First. I was watching uh, WANF last night and a reporter spoke to Dion Patterson's mom, and she was like, man, listen, mental illness is real. 
He was crying out for help, couldn't get it. She was at her wit's end, couldn't get help, yada, yada, yada. She's deeply sympathetic and apologetic to those who suffered as her son lost his wits yesterday. But this whole tongue-in-cheek, pesky white nationalist stuff, I mean, that's just deflection. So Austin responds to me, another great white shark scare. The numbers kick your butt every time. It ain't white racists who are filling the morgue. And that goes back to the whole black-on-black crime. White-on-white well, white crime, by the way, is statistically, I can never say that, statistically identical by percentage. So he talks about that, but doesn't want to bring up the decades of codified baked-in biases, disparities perpetuated by ignorance, ignorance perpetuated by talk radio and conservative columnists and Fox News and now Newsmax and OENNN ad nauseum. I mean, I could bore anyone with the abundance of data and studies, but the right just wants to bury that evil un-American critical race theory talk. Austin reminded me that many do make it out of high-density uh, impoverished black areas in cities of any substance and size. And he's right, because Tim Scott is one such example. But he's a statistical anomaly, unfortunately. Austin did say, whatever it is, it's killing people in real time. So I respond. So instead of pretending whatever it is doesn't exist, and since whatever it is has been identified and solutions to eradicate whatever it is have been offered up, You'd think Republicans, being the pro-life party, would be all over addressing it. Instead, he and conservatives in general are poorly trying to compare the incomparable. White nationalism, which by the way, has blood on its hands here as well with whatever it is, by politically ideological proxy, is the nation's greatest domestic terror threat. While whatever it is, perpetuates crime by necessity and economically repressed high-density urban areas in cities of any substance or size. Whatever it is, also has impacted substance abuse and mental illness. And that's how we arrive at what happened yesterday here in Atlanta. Patterson, by the way, we have learned, is a military veteran. Mignon Patterson, his mother, cooperating with cops, according to the New York Post, after uh, they sought her son all day yesterday, appears to blame his medication regimen for the shooting at Northside Hospital Medical Midtown yesterday. She said the damn VA gave him some messed up medication, and all he wanted was an Ativan. We know that Patterson had been identified by the Coast Guard as a guardsman who enlisted in 2018, discharged from active duty in January 2023 after serving as an electrician's mate second class. First and foremost, I want to give my sincere, sincere apologies to the families that were injured and killed. To them, my son was always a protector and never uh, no one that would hurt anybody. And even in his time of need, he was still trying to help others. That's just the person he's always been. A happy, beautiful child. Always. Even up until just, he, he doesn't know. He doesn't know right now. Please. This mental illness is real. Mm. And when we say it's real, from the medical standpoint, it is real. 
And when somebody is saying they need help or you see that they're acting out of sorts, they need help. Help them. Just don't disregard them. They need help. And as I'm trying to advocate for my son, he was turned away. Alan Devlin from WANF Television in Atlanta got to speak and got those words from Dion Patterson's mother last night after he had been found and taken to Atlanta Police Headquarters and placed under arrest. She's right. Mental illness is real. We all, at some point in time, some of us more than others, I'm raising my hand, need to talk to a therapist, talk things out. For some, medical options are necessary, and we are deeply underserved in this country in all facets of healthcare, but mental health, chief among them. To me, this just isn't the sort of story that you tongue-in-cheek post a mugshot and want to deflect from the very real domestic threat that is white nationalism. I don't know. I just found that kind of gross. And I know he's going to listen to today and he's going to have something to say and my phone will blow up. Austin, let me save you the trouble. I got softball practice tonight. Back after this. Final segment of the Ron Show for Thursday. Appreciate you listening. So, I don't want to get too far in the weeds on like my past life as a radio broadcaster. By the way, I'm a residential real estate agent, a realtor now. That's that's what pays the bills. This show doesn't. I mean, one day maybe. Oh, dreaming a little dream. Um, but before that, I was in radio broadcasting for more than 25 years throughout the Southeast. My last stop was at a radio station here in Atlanta. Uh, managed the station for about a year. Dysfunctional on-air staffing and a whole host of other issues. And like a year later, it just all came asunder. Um, anyway, I got to have lunch today with a former coworker, And like we have not sat down and really just had a good talk between the two of us since that all went down. And it's been almost four years since this all went down, by the way. Time flies. Um, but it was good to catch up with uh, this person. And we talked a lot about uh, mental health. See, I'm dovetailing back to mental health here a little bit and, and how important it is and how life goes on and we don't realize all the nicks and dents that our mental health is taking. You know, when you own a car or even a house, you're going to have like those nicks in the wall, the the dents in the fender, little scratches, things that just kind of pile up over time. And then you you go to look at the thing and you're like, oh my gosh, this thing is just beat up. You go to look at your house and you're like, oh my gosh, how is there all this deterioration that I wasn't maintaining over time? And I think the brain is a lot like that too. I think the mind can really be like that as well. Uh, the person I had lunch with had been through a divorce as well, had had career upheaval as well, and so much more. And I talked, we talked a little bit about how uh, I probably needed to be talking to, you know, someone with some mental health offerings for more than a dozen years. And I don't speak for my father, but my father needed it as well when my mother passed 12 years ago. That's a huge thing when you lose someone before their time. I lost my mother to cancer. She was only 58 years old. She never got to see me married or divorced. <laughs> oh man, I would have loved to have had mom around when I was uh, 
going through the divorce process. She alone would have been great therapy. But then there's the familial issues after she passed. You know, mothers are glued. Like they, they're the ones that kind of keep families together. And when you lose a mother, you lose a lot. And like my dad drifted out of familial gatherings and birthdays and this, that, and the other. Our relationship became nothing more than text messages during ball games. And even that, I just, you know, I, I kind of had my fill of some of the drama starting. And so I, nonetheless, we just talked about how important it is to realize that we all need mental health checkups from time to time. We all need to take our mental health vehicle to the paint and body shop and get a new coat of paint, get those dents dinged out and come out smooth and new again. Although I think a smooth brain is a bad idea. <laughs> so for some reason, I'm trying to remember that that's like a joke. Oh, he's smooth brain. That means you're stupid or something. Uh, anyway, I digress. I'm trying to bring some levity to a, an important situation. Life beats us all up. I am a white man in the South of the United States of America. And you would think, oh, well, you've got all that privilege. I, there are many privileges I have. Absolutely. I, I readily accept that. I am gay. So that brings some challenges. It makes me something of a, a marginalized person. But I don't announce that to everybody. Not everybody knows that. I showed houses to a client today. I don't even think I've told him. He may not know. I No idea. I don't hide it. But I'm not married, so it's not like I have to talk about a husband. So it just doesn't come up. So I, I do have that privilege. Um, and even still, I needed to talk to a therapist. Because all of the things in my life that have beaten me up over time, that have put little dents and dings in my brain. I needed to go to a body shop. I needed to get them hammered out and I needed a new coat of paint. And I'm happy to say like two weeks ago was my last therapy session uh, with the person I'd been assigned to for a while. She's moving on. And I just didn't feel like starting a whole new relationship with a new therapist all over again. But I know where, I know now where the, where the, the, the fire alarm mechanism is in the hallway and I can run right out and pull it down the next time I need to talk to somebody. And I think, just having that awareness has been helpful. So I had lunch today with an old coworker and we went over some of the things that went down when I lost my job and how traumatic even that was. That's another chapter, you know, it, it, where I, I needed to talk to someone and we didn't get to talk. And I really value that person's opinion. And unfortunately, because of the oddity of being the former employee and your former employee coworkers, you know, they want to keep the distance from you because you're toxic, <laughs> you know, you don't want to be seen or else the boss might ask, well, what are you talking to them for? You know, we talked a lot about that sort of stuff. And it was very therapeutic. It, it in and of itself was very therapeutic. And we talked about how talking to a therapist after going through a divorce is so necessary because divorce really takes a lot out of you. I can't imagine what Dion Patterson had been going through at age 24, coming out of being in the Coast Guard. Don't know what he saw. Don't know what he experienced. But I know that, again, coming from the point of view of a white male, I know being a marginalized minority of any kind in this country brings mental health challenges greater than I've experienced. I know that. I readily accept that. And I'm not going to sit here and condone what he did. I'm not going to in any way say that. But what I am saying is you hear the mother's exasperations. You know she saw the signs. There had to be others that saw the signs. We have to pay more attention to each other and we have to know when people are hitting their breaking point and we have to be able to have the mechanisms to ensure that they can do no harm. Red flag laws would help, but that's another topic for another day. I'm just saying, let's all be a little bit more vigilant 
about the struggles others are going through and do what we can to aid them, to let them know that there is help when it can be found. And by the way, this would be the opportunity for me to promote the White Flag app, download it, and see how it can help you in your periods of mental health crisis when necessary, at no charge. That's going to do it for The Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, AmericanOneRadio.com.